The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right, welcome to another edition of Winning Ponies. Missed you all last week. I hope everybody out there had a great Thanksgiving. And I know if uh, you got tired of uh, sitting around the table, taking naps and watching football, there was plenty of great horse racing out there to get to. I'm going to try to catch you up on the results because we pretty much raced uh, uh, Thanksgiving right through Sunday and on to the weekend. So uh, I want to just give you a heads up on our guest this evening. The first guest will be award-winning author Milton Toby, a guy that uh, we introduced you to oh probably seven months ago uh, when he came out uh, with his book on Dancer's Image, and since then, uh, that horse has won uh, an award as uh, one of the best horse racing books written this year, and uh, now he's come out with a book that I thoroughly enjoyed reading, and I think you will too. It's getting to be around Christmas time, so you might want to put some of these things on your list uh, for your horse racing friends. It's not a handicapping book. It's about an extremely famous racehorse that somehow got lost in the cracks, and actually got lost in a gravesite. Uh, this was the first horse to defeat two Triple Crown winners, defeated several Kentucky Derby winners, and within a month's time recorded three world's records. It's just an unbelievable story. The horse, you ask? The horse is Noor. He was an Irish bred, and uh, it's just it's a great story of how he... Uh, uh, captured uh, the uh, heart of America, defeated Citation, had some great races against him, and then kind of got lost and nobody knew where he was. Well, we know where he is now. He's uh, with my friend Michael Bowen down at Old Friends, but it's a real interesting uh, labyrinth of how he got from California to Kentucky. So we'll be talking to Milton Toby, and then uh, we'll be talking to Joe Neville. So you met Joe Neville several months ago, but at that time, Joe was one of the lead writers for the Thoroughbred Times, and now uh, with the, what all that's happened with, with the Thoroughbred Times, Joe luckily has gone with Times editor Mark Simon over to the Daily Racing Forum, uh, where he is uh, now working with their extended breeding section. The uh, uh, So we're going to use him as a handicapper because he is the kind of guy that likes to go not always to the big parks but to some of the smaller parks, and uh, the Claiming Crown is coming to Gulfstream Park on opening day. This is pretty exciting. Uh, if, if you want some odds, if you want a handicapping challenge, check out the racing form on Saturday. Opening day at Gulfstream, uh, they are hosting the Claiming Crown. Uh, as you, of course, you know, this uh, was held most of the time at Canterbury Park. Uh, since then, it was uh, that was 1999. 
you know, it was a means of rewarding racing's uh, blue-collar workers. And uh, these are horses everywhere from uh, $7,500 to $3,500 claimers, each in individual races. And uh, it just provides a fantastic handicapping challenge. And it's fun to see how so many of these horses have uh, gone from one barn into another and all of a sudden have become, in some cases, overnight uh, successes. Well, now... Horses that uh, earlier this year ran for 7500 will be running for $100,000. Horses that ran for 35000 or less will be running for 200000 Joe and I are going to take a look at uh, some of the different things that are happening in racing, and then uh, we're going to tackle uh, four races from the Claiming Crown. We're going to use four different uh, distances and uh, two different surfaces, so it should be a, a fun challenge for us. Well, I don't know where to... We're to start with uh, with some of the headlines uh, that, w- that we missed over the last two weeks. Uh, one is the fact that uh, trainer Dale Romans, he's going to be honored by the Turf Publicists of America with the prestigious Big Sport of Turfdom Award at the Symposium on Racing and Gaming in Arizona. I've been out there many times myself. It's, it's a great venue, and it is open to the public. Of course, uh, Romans uh, got the spotlight this year for horses like Little Mike, Shackelford, Dullahan, Tappet's Fly, and uh, Dale was always great about making himself available to the media, uh, something that's needed to be done so everybody can know what's going on and not, uh, not keep us hidden. So congratulations to Dale on that. Also, I guess uh, congrats go out uh, to Mike Smith, who uh, is going to be taking over the uh, – the mount on Game On Dude. We've had some uh, musical jockeys on that. Of course, uh, Chantel Sutherland, since retiring, uh, gave up the mount to Rafael Bayarano, and uh, a lot of people tore up tickets on Breeders' Cup Day when they didn't break well. So Game On Dude is now going to have Mike Smith. Uh, drew the rail for the native diver. That's going to come up on this Saturday, a race you may want to watch. It's not a big field, but you'll see some familiar names in there. Game on Dude and one of his nemesis, Richard's Kids, will be in the field, as will Nonios and the Speedy Kettle Corn. So um, we'll see how uh, Game on Dude likes uh, Mike Smith in the saddle. Okay, well, when uh, we last uh, left you, Thanksgiving was coming up, and that means opening day at the fairgrounds, traditional one. Of course, uh, Rosie Napravnik will be seeking her third straight fairgrounds riding title. Uh, the uh, Louisiana Derby will be run on March 30th. That's a great day. I've been down there many times. And they're also putting the uh, oaks on that, the fairgrounds oaks, which has delivered us some pretty good horses to the Kentucky oaks. Um, happened to be down there when a horse by the name of Rachel Alexandra won the race. So uh, the fairgrounds is open. We'll be seeing some great racing coming from them. And as it gets closer, hopefully we can have my friend John G. Dooley on the show. Uh, They did uh, run the traditional Thanksgiving handicap for the 87th time. And it was Dalune with none other than Rosie Napravnik, the slight favorite, getting the nod over Gantry, who was four ahead of cash refunds. So the season in New Orleans kicks off on Thanksgiving Day, so they are off and running. Again, one of those tracks that you got to put on your bucket list. Yeah, you'll never eat better. Well, I kind of a toss-up to uh, for, for the next race to talk about, actually. Uh, there were some real headliners uh, coming up this weekend, and... Uh, I guess uh, I guess we'll start on the East Coast because it was a thriller, and it was quite a, 
a challenge being thrown down by Buff Bradley, who was taking on some of the best Colts in the country with his Philly groupie doll. And groupie doll put in one heck of a race, but fell short as Stay Thirsty, the now four-year-old, went out on his swan song. Uh, Mike Rapoli had just an unbelievable weekend with three graded stakes wins. Uh, this was really good. Uh, sticking with Stay Thirsty all the way through. You remember he just uh, missed in the Belmont Stakes uh, last year. A lot of people doubting about his comeback this year. He made four starts, all against top company. Uh, just finished a head behind flat out in the Jockey Club Gold Cup last time. This, it was announced he was going to be retired, and this was his last shot at it. Stayed thirsty, got the job done over very hard try and groupie doll, and uh, a win in here may have gone a long way to get her named Horse of the Year. But, uh, again, hats off to the connections of Stay Thirsty, of course. Uh, Todd Pletcher is uh, Rapoli's trainer. While we're at Aqueduct, uh, the fall high weight uh, went to another Pletcher trainee, KXA Electronica, who went off the slight favorite. This one's for Phil, had the lead the whole way, but couldn't hold on. KX Electronica gets the win there in New York. And while we're there, let's take a look at some of the top girls in the country. Unlimited budget. Yeah, guess what? Out of the Rapoli stable, trained by Todd Pletcher, is now 2-4-2. Running second in that race was Emollient, who was the odds-on choice of Bill Mott trainee by Empire Maker out of the Judmont Farm. And third was number five, Giant Cat's Eyes. These will all be fillies to watch next year. We'll see how many of them, if any of them, make it to the Kentucky Oaks, but that's always a, a race with a lot of promise, as is the Remsen for the boys, two-year-old Colts. The winner in here, well, let's see, owned by Rapoli Stable, trained by Todd Pletcher, and it was a great week for Ramon Dominguez, who's going to be taking some time off to let his foot heal fully. Uh, this was a one heck of a race, overanalyze gets up by a nose over Normandy Invasion. Remember, both of these names, they came out of the Remsen with a 99 buyer figure, which was the highest for any two-year-old Colts this year. So overanalyze and Normandy Invasion, keep an eye out for those two. Delholm ran third in that race. Uh, then um, also at Aqueduct, they, uh, they held the Gazelle. Winning was... Uh, the favorite dance card over Sea Island. Uh, we're going to have to now move over to Churchill Downs. We got so many good races to uh, to uh, talk about, and uh, this is the other the other one that uh, we talk about. Stay thirsty, going out on top, and now we're going to talk about Shackleford. It was the Clark handicap. And uh, um, Marty McGee uh, said it so well and when he said, a blaze-faced chestnut named Shackleford went out in a blaze of glory, earning an emotional victory for his connections. So uh, Shackleford got the job done in the Clark, uh, wasn't favored uh, to, to win in there. Um, the mile and eighth race, uh, his uh, race-long pursuer, Take Charge Indy, couldn't get there from Flagfall to that's all. It was kind of neat. It was a reunion of sorts and Jesus Castanon, who rode Shackelford uh, to victory in the 2011 Preakness Stakes, was back aboard the four-year-old Colt after a four-race absence. <clears throat> okay, well, that was the uh, 
the Clark, which headed up the uh, final night card uh, at Churchill Downs, and uh, there were some interesting baby races. Again, remember some of these names we're talking about, and it looks like oh, Bernie Flint. I didn't realize he's 72 years old now, but Bernie Flint could be back on the scene. His two-year-old filly, Sanine Girl, got up at 31-1, to and what a weekend for Miguel Mania. Absolutely on fire. Three graded wins. I want whatever he is having for breakfast. So uh, Sanine Girl gets the nod over the favorite gal about town, and uh, running third was liberated. Again, these are the two-year-old girls at Churchill Downs. Now a look at the two-year-old boys, the Kentucky Jockey Club, a race that's uh, very important in looking at horses that blossom as three-year-olds. Again, if you win this, that means you've already won going around two turns at Churchill Downs. And when was the last time in history you can say, a two-year-old won five stakes races. I'm still scratching my head. Well, who was it? Was it the Was it the bid? Uh, you tell me. Five stakes wins for uncaptured. A Mark Cassie trainee again in the saddle was Miguel Mania, who was absolutely on fire. Uh, was favored. Got up by a neck over Frack Daddy, an impressive Kenny McPeak trainee. And what's interesting in this race, uh, third was Dewey Square. Fourth was Tesseron, Marty McGee, always uh, keeping an eye out for things. The four favorites finished in order, and Marty uh, uh, hashtag that if you put a $1 super together with the four favorites in order, the super would have paid $204.20. So uh, it was uh, very interesting and a very formful uh, jockey club. Uh, closing out Churchill Downs, it was the River City Handicap. And the winner that day was a horse ridden by Miguel Mania called Keep Up at 30 to 1. So uh, Miguel Mania going out absolutely on fire at Churchill Downs. We need to uh, take a quick trip to Hollywood Park. A lot of people might have missed this one on Thanksgiving. It looked like it was uh, Bob Baffert Day there. Uh, The Hollywood preview, not a big field. Five went to post. Uh, Finishing first was Bob Baffert's Lesser horse, he thought, 11 to 1. Really, Mr. Greeley uh, took it over his 4 to 5 favorite, Super 99, by uh, half a length. And only a neck for third was shaking it up. So those are some of the top babies out there on the West Coast. The uh, the Miesque, which is a grade 3 uh, mile race, was uh, contended. And another upset winner there at 11 to 1 was Travasera, trained by Jeff Mullins got up by a half a length over Pussycat Lips. Third was Flashy Ways. The odds-on favorite Premier Step shipped in from Europe but was bumped and squeezed at the start, lost all chance. And then it's derby time, but it's the Hollywood Derby, and the winner was Unbridled Command, a Tom Bush trainee at 7-1 to with Xavier Castellano on the saddle. The favorite was another European horse uh, who made one start in the U.S., Won the Twilight Derby, Grade Two, Grand Dour was the favorite, but ended up running second in there. Uh, third was Lucky Chappie. Well, there's a lot of breeding news to catch up with you and things that happened overseas, but time is dwindling, and I've got Milton Toby lined up to be with us. So we're going to take a little bit of a break here on Winning Ponies, and we come back. We're going to talk about one of the greatest racehorses a lot of people never heard about.
into the room, passing out hundred dollar bills. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you. Every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me now is a guest that we had in the past. Of course, we're, we're famous for making people famous. And when we last uh, talked to Milton Toby, we talked about his book, Dancer's Image, The Forgotten Story of the 1968 Kentucky Derby. And shortly after our interview, uh, Milt ended up winning the Dr. Tony Ryan uh, Award for American Horse Publications. And uh, since then, I've, I've had the chance to, to, to meet him. Uh, it was, couldn't have been at a better place or a more appropriate one considering the subject we're going to talk about. It was out at the Old Friends of Farm uh, where uh, Milt was there doing a book signing alongside uh, James Nicholson, who's been on the show, and, and Susan Nusser, who wrote uh, the Kentucky Derby Dreams. We hope to have her on before Christmas, too. It is around Christmas time, and if you're looking for uh, a good book, an easy read, it's not War and Peace, but it's also not Reader's Digest, the book Nor you will find highly entertaining and interesting also some great photos in there and that that's part of the story of this whole uh shall i say unearthing of nor with me right now milton toby milt it was great to see you out at old friends hi john thanks for having me back on the show this, this is always great fun well it is and uh, i'll tell you uh the, the story is a relatively fresh one i mean you had to put in a lot of work to, to get this horse, I mean, you've even got pictures of Rapid Redo, who was just retired to the farm a couple of months ago uh, in here from old friends. What, did they just set you up a cot at the Keeneland Library? How would you get this all done? 
A, a lot of it was research at the Keeneland Library, but a, a surprising amount of it was uh, aided by a woman named Charlotte Farmer, who was in, involved in getting Noor moved from California to Kentucky. She gave me a, a CD that had hundreds of newspaper articles from San Francisco and L.A. newspapers from 1950. So that cut my research time in almost in half. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I, I see the, the, the fight that she fought to, to, to bring this horse to his final resting place, which, of course, is in Georgetown, Kentucky right now. Uh, the horse was an Irish bred. You know what I enjoyed about uh, reading your book? Well, I think it helped me enjoy it, was that it took place uh, very much in the era of uh, Seabiscuit, and uh, it was easy to imagine uh, the characters uh, that were in this book, uh, especially considering that Charles Howard, who owned Seabiscuit, uh, owned a Noor. Um, kind of, you know, uh, it, it was just made it easier to picture what was going on there. Again, I, too bad Seabiscuit already came out on film, or this would make a great screenplay. Yeah, it was still the golden age of racing, and it's a great story. It, the, the people... You know, Charles Howard, John Longden, Burley Park, you know, they're, they're all legends in the game. And this was a horse that was just under the radar. What amazed me is the, the greatness of the horses of that era, of course, Noor included. As I'm reading your book, all of a sudden it comes to light, and again, I'm, I'm slapping myself in the face for not knowing more about this horse, is that he once set a world record in a workout he once set three world records at three different distances, and he, he set three world records in a row, two of them only a week apart. It was a different breed of horse back then. They, they, they raced them hard, and they seemed to do okay with it. Well, I just think it, it, it helped develop them. And, you know, I, I think with some of the what we see today is that horses aren't, Tested as young horses, they don't get to play little league. They put throw them right into college ball. Uh, they get up to bat a couple times, hit a couple home runs, and they're off to the stud barn. Uh, back there, as you read the book, and, and it, we know what's great too is I love your little uh, interview segments uh, with the likes of Jimmy Jones and, and Johnny Longden um, and, and Burley Park. In that you hear uh, how they uh, how they uh, get these horses to these races and they're like oh we've got they would work them out two days before the race i mean we felt that it was important to make sure that this horse was always on edge oh absolutely yeah it, it, it was training in a different light but yeah it was training in a different era but well but like i said it, it is a nice part for our listeners who are interested in the book that uh you're not only just telling the story all of a sudden you hand the story over to the uh, the participants themselves and and use their quotes and their words either talking about a race they just came out of or one that they're leading up to. Yeah, I thought it was really important to to tell readers what the the people involved were actually thinking, not what not what I thought they were thinking. Uh, <laughs> I agree with you. I think it makes the book more interesting. Well, when 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 you begin to read about this horse again, you begin to think why when you know, you'll be sitting around a fireside or a bar or whatever talking about racing greats and, and, and the names that come up. There's no reason why this horse's name shouldn't come up. No, not at all. But, you know, as, as we were talking about earlier, he needed a better press agent in 1950. You know, Charles Howard was a tireless promoter of Seabiscuit when that horse was running. But Howard was sick in 1950, and he died you know, midway through the year. And then the Korean War, 
so there were a lot of reasons why Noor just never did make it to the headlines. And it's really unfortunate because he was a very good horse. Well, you know, he, he beat the best that, that Calumet could throw at him. And then as you read throughout the book, the other horses, you know, people on the East Coast are taking shots at him. Well, practically every horse he lost to won the Kentucky Derby or was a three-year-old Philly champion or had just set a track record. It's unbelievable the competition he faced. Yeah, he, he was always running against the, the very best horses. And, and still, it, it didn't matter. You know, Citation was so popular and so famous that when Citation won, everybody expected it. When Citation lost, the headlines read, Citation loses, not newer wins. Yeah, right. Now, what, what amazes me is that he was a son of Nasrullah, set world records, but still wasn't really um, taken on by the breeding society. Not at all. That was a surprise. He was, you know, the first really good son of Nazarula, maybe the first son of Nazarula to stand at stud in this country. But he was in California, and you know, that was still, you know, shipping horses across country was a big deal. Well, I, didn't at one part they uh, they bring him to Kentucky for a couple seasons? He was in Kentucky for a while, and but again, he wasn't popular here either. You know, he had a very mediocre career as a stallion. Well, I, he he did do one thing that I know is close to your heart, wasn't he? The broodmare sire, dancer's image. He was. That's what I found to be the most interesting thing about Newer, actually. <laughs> Certainly in the breeding shed. Yep. Now, a, a lot of people uh, are, who are listening that don't know the story are saying, "Well, why was it an unlikely journey from California to Kentucky?" What we need to tell people is, as the book unwinds, Newer uh, was when he was finally uh, put down uh, out. Uh, on the farm, uh, Loma Richa Ranch in Northern California, uh, that he was actually buried in an unmarked grave, and developers were getting ready to just roll over that thing. And this horse, with without the concern of a woman by the name of Charlotte Farmer, would have been lost to history forever. That's absolutely true. He, like I said, he was not a particularly good stallion. When he died, he just sort of vanished from everyone's consciousness until there was. Uh, uh, you know, announcement that a developer had bought the farm and wanted to develop it. And, and Charlotte Farmer, who is probably the most avid racing fan on the planet, was incensed that there was a possibility that Noor's grave was going to be paved over. And she oh, began, you know, a one-woman campaign. Her, her initial plan was just to locate the grave and put up a memorial, a marker of some kind, so people would know that, that Noor had been buried there. And there wasn't a lot of cooperation from the planning commission, so she shifted gears and decided to locate Noor's grave, you know, dig up the remains and ship them somewhere where the horse would be appreciated. And then that turned out to be old friends in Georgetown, Central Kentucky. Right. It, it, it is it is interesting too, though, that you've even got the, the handwritten letters in the book about her feelings and her emotions as all this was going on. Because with an unmarked grave, it wasn't really easy, and all the different people that came to help her, even including uh, a prehistoric archaeologist, who all of a sudden she convinced, "Hey, this is a matter of import. We need to do this. This is a historical." And uh, the cooperation of everybody, and then of course went around to this shocked me. The Kentucky Horse Park said, "Well, we only bury horses." that lived here, as I recall, Manowar lived there. He's there. Um, and uh, and that none of the California tracks uh, made room for him. And, of course, uh, our friend Michael Blowen steps right up and probably in five minutes said, are you kidding me? I could get Norberry here? Bring him on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Michael was, was supportive of the, the idea from the start. And it's been a wonderful place for Noor to be memorialized. 
Absolutely. Well, you and I were, were there, and uh, after I, I left you and the other authors uh, that day, I did go down and take some photos and visit the grave site, and uh, Michael did a great spot of kind of showcasing them as you, as you, as you pull yep. up uh, the, the, the boulevard there to, to go up to the other horses. Uh, Milton, it's get, coming up on Christmas. You need to tell the listeners of Winning Ponies how they get their hands on your book. They can get um, a signed or a personalized copy, their choice, at my website, which is www.miltoncetoby.com. Well, that's easy enough. And it's kind of nice that you get a personalized copy. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to sign it. I'm happy to personalize it if, if, if they like. And your know, portion of the proceeds goes to old friends. Well, that's fantastic. That is fantastic, Milton. Well, uh, when we when we last spoke, it was kind of about your former career. When I first knew of you uh, as an outstanding equine photographer, and, and uh, how you moved on uh, through that career in kind of a mysterious way and got out of it at the right time, went on to become an attorney who now lives in Georgetown, Kentucky. So uh, keep finding these stories and keep writing them because I can tell you what, I'll keep reading them and I'll keep advising that the listeners at Winning Ponies do too. Sounds good. I appreciate all the the help, John. All right, one more time, Milton, in case somebody didn't have a pen in hand, how do they get the book, Nor, A Champion Thoroughbred's Unlikely Journey from California to Kentucky? They can get it on my website. It's www.miltoncetoby.com. All right. Well, Milton, I hope our uh, paths cross soon, and I I thank you very much for uh, a book that really opened my eyes to one one of racing's greats that I just feel has totally flown under the radar. I I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you, John. I hope you have a great holiday. Uh, Same to you. All right. Milton Toby, an award-winning author. By the way, a lot of great photos in here. I should have asked Milton more about this because I I read about it in an article. But in in writing this book, uh, they found out in California many negatives of famous horses that had never been published before. There's a really cool one of Johnny Longdon, the pumper, uh, working him out in the morning on the cover of the book. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, an, it's not uh, just a flat book. It's got a lot of pictures of Longdon and the exciting races, the Winter Circle presentations, so some quality uh, compilation shots of Noor after some of his big races. So I highly recommend it, and I highly recommend you stay with Winning Ponies because up next... Joe Nevels and I are going to talk a little racing, a little racing form, a little breeding, and then we're going to get hopefully some winners to the claiming crown because I know he slept with the racing form under his pillow last night. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. Every Wednesday, you'll want to talk sports with touchdown Tony Collins and his co-host Bill Mattis. Tony's broken records and has been to the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl. We'll talk about what's happening in sports every week with news, action, and notable guests from all aspects of the sports world. We'll also involve you by discussing questions and topics of interest sent in via email from listeners all over the world. Become what you believe. Tune in to Sports Talk with Touchdown Tony Collins, Wednesdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? 
you can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me is Joe Neville. Now, uh, last time we talked to Joe, he was in a little bit of a different uh, situation of, of where he is right now. Uh, but we always admired his uh, his, uh, his attitude, his uh, positive uptake on, on, on racing, and the fact that he, he's a guy that likes to uh, go not just to the big races, but to uh, to races uh, all across the country. He right now. He's a staff writer for the Daily Racing Forum, uh, their breeding and sales wing. Uh, he started out in Michigan. Um, he began back in 2008 with an internship with the now defunct, and uh, we'll find out what's going to happen with the Thoroughbred Times of any of those uh, great staff members uh, like Joe and, and Tom Law and Mark Simon, all that have been on Winning Ponies. Well, uh, listen, tell me now. Um, with your your new position as a writer for the Daily Racing Forum, the Breeding and Sales Wing, uh, how have your duties changed? Uh, how are they ex- expanding that part of the Daily Racing Forum? Um, well, as soon I guess as soon as Thoroughbred Times kind of went under, this idea has been bubbling. Um, Daily Racing Forum has wanted to expand their Breeding and Sales Wing, and all of a sudden, a bunch of people who specialize in Breeding and Sales coverage became available. So it was kind of a you know perfect marriage at that point. Um, the way that my job has changed, um, we've, we really haven't, I mean, our, the November sales were kind of our maiden voyage, and normally it would be me and maybe one other person, so I'd be doing, you know, all the work for the web, all the stuff for the website, social media, uh, the Today publication, and then doing a magazine write-up. I was pretty much doing the work of three people, and now we have three people doing the work of three people, so I can't complain at all. It's... <laughs> Well, that's great. You'll you'll definitely get it right. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you know, it's, it's been really nice to just be able to focus on what I'm doing and um, not have to worry about a lot of you know the laundry list of things I have to do. Just focus on the one thing I have to do and do it well. So, hopefully, the readers are enjoying it. So far, we've heard a lot of positive feedback. So, you know, full steam ahead. We're looking at a big like big launch in uh, middle of December, I think. Well, uh, knowing your work ethic, you will get it done, and you'll you'll get you'll get it done well. Uh, well, the, the, coming up, we're going to look at the, at the claiming crown, and I, this is a, an event that I'm glad it still exists. I mean, it's so neat to think that you can have a horse that you t- took a chance on for seventy five hundred or, or sixteen thousand somewhere along the season, all the way up to thirty five thousand, and now you're running for. Hundred twenty-five thousand, or even as much as two hundred thousand. I, I just think it, it's a great thing that that they've incorporated, and I hope it lives on forever. 
Mm-hmm. I know they've been, it seems like they've been having a little trouble with this event in the past few years. I know that a few of the races haven't filled in the last few editions, but it's good to see that, you know, some of these four races have 18 entries in them. So, you know, it's great to see interest getting back into this. I don't know if the new venue or the change in, uh, you know, place on the calendar. I know it used to be sort of a late summer, early fall type thing that they do at Canterbury or another place like Ellis. Last year they moved it to uh, Fairground. This year they got it at Gulfstream. Um, I'm just glad to see that there's added interest in it, and there's some really nice races here. Yeah, there really are. I mean, uh, 97 horses were entered for the seven-race series. It's worth a total of $850,000. i got to give a tip of my hat to Gulfstream Park. Number one, I think they put it in a really nice spot because so much of the good racing after the Breeders' Cup tails off, minus this weekend we just had, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, did have a lot of good races. But from here, you know, uh, through the first of the year, it gets a little thin. So I think the, the, the positioning of it was good, and also putting it in – on their opening day, um, yes. you know, who doesn't want to be down in Florida when it's getting a little chilly up north? i got to say, though, I'm a little bummed that, you know, McLean Crown was kind of built on blue-collar tracks like your Canterbury's, your Ellis Park. It wasn't it run at Parks one year back when it was Philadelphia Park or Penn National, one of the Pennsylvania tracks. I'm happy to see that's doing so well, but, you know, it was, it was I always had a, held a special place in my heart to see all the world's best or the country's best claimers running at a really blue-collar track, blue-collar runners, runners running at a blue-collar track. But like well, I said. That, yeah, that's, that's the other side of the coin. You're right. But certainly, perhaps with, with the larger venue, that's why you're able to draw 18-horse field. That's right. You can't argue with the results. The way I see it is this. If I've got a claimer that's good enough to compete, have horse will travel, and I don't really care where it's going to be. But I understand right. where your heart is saying, hey, let's be able to shine on a little track for once. Hey, as long as that check clears, that's all that matters. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I, I want to uh, ch- check and see if you've still got your handicapping pencil kind of sharp. What I did was I selected four races uh, from throughout the day, all under different conditions and all, all uh, different uh, distances and even some surfaces. So I know I'm really, you know, sending you a, a test here. So uh, but let's start off here. With the fourth race, you only needed to claim your horse for seventy five hundred, and you're running for a hundred thousand. Six furlongs. It's the express. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a pretty neat race. I immediately went to the number five here, Tabon. He's a uh, this is a really consistent horse. He hasn't missed the board in his last thirteen starts, running in Kentucky and Indiana. So, yeah, it's a pretty legitimate circus. He's a uh, Pretty legitimate. It's Kentucky. It's a very legitimate circuit. What am I saying? Um, you know, he's coming off one of the more high class starts, going off uh, you know fifty one thousand dollar allowance. Ran pretty well. Ran really well in that. Just missed by length. Um, his margins of victory have gotten smaller with the class jumps, which concerns me a little bit. But you know, he's not facing a field of world beaters here by any means. Um, you know, he's going to like the six furlong distance. He's done his most damage at six furlongs by far. And he does well setting off the pace, and there's going to be, you know, a good deal of pace in this race. So you got to be able to close well and cash some tickets. Well, I can't argue with you on several of the points. Certainly the pace. Um, you've got down on the rail, you've got Country Gun, mm-hmm. who uh, has nothing but ones in his early going. He's going to grab the rail. And then uh, you've got uh, this My Place Anytime, a horse who just – 
seems to be taking on better and better horses every race, has now won five races in a row with Elvis Trujillo in the saddle. He'll come in from Monmouth Park to ride the horse. And just like you, I'm kind of leaning towards a horse who can come from off the pace and uh, has been running against modest company, but uh, had an excuse in its race last time, still came back and won with the best buyer in this field, and that would be number nine, Cover Price. So maybe we can put the both of them together and catch some of those faltering speed horses here in, in the fourth. Well, let's move on to the sixth race. Uh, the name of this race is the Rapid Transit. At a distance, I always love to handicap seven furlongs. I don't think you see enough races at seven furlongs. It, it just seems to fit a lot of horses just right. And uh, this is for horses that were, at one point uh, since January 1st, claimed for $16,000, a very uh, uh, competitive field. And one thing I Joe, without a doubt, is I, I think uh, Ken and, and Sarah Ramsey – just gave Mike Maker a, a checkbook about a month and a half ago. And I know, said, right? Why don't you go get us a couple horses for every race? And he's done an outstanding job at picking them up. I tell you what, and I'm sure you're leading me into this. Number uh, 13, Bernie the Maestro, is my pick here. Um, he ran really well in New York. I uh, got picked up. Well, let's see, before I go to that, he yeah, won a race at Saratoga, $25,000 claiming race, won that in good order. Um, what happened? Yeah, and then he went to Keeneland after the Ramseys claimed him at Saratoga. Won at Keeneland by four lengths against, you know, good field there. Um, and a lot of, and another thing I noticed about this horse, looking through the claims here, a lot of notable people have had their hands on this horse. Rapoli Stable claimed them at one point. Uh, Rick Dutro claimed him at one point. So, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the right people seem to like this horse, and you always like to see that. Absolutely. Well, I've got three horses checked here, Joe. Bernie the Maestro is one, and I could see that. Uh, I think Maker even wanted to reach in for him when they when he went for twenty five. It might have even been a part of the shake that day, and he liked him enough that he convinced the Ramseys, "Hey, let's let's tally up another ten grand for this horse." And uh, you know, came back at a nice tightener at Keeneland last time out. It's a horse that's won at Gulfstream, has won twice at the distance. You got to love that. Uh, on the same count, you got to like the other one. Maker just bought off Dick Dutro, one fast bullet, who's going off at ten to one. Very similar uh, look to, to this horse uh, in a lot of ways, even though he's a little bit cheaper. And then um, a horse that doesn't know what stall he's going to wake up, and he's been claimed so many times, but he's been claimed from fourteen thousand. Last claim was forty thousand, and that's Cusada. Uh, another know, horse is gonna, seven for a long race, and let the speed go on and close. So I'm going to take I'm going to take those three and uh, and and hook them up in some exotics. So this is going to be fun race to watch. The whole day is going to be fun to watch. Well, you know, Cusada's got to be excited that he's actually going to be. Cusada's got to be excited that he's actually going to be running in a race where he's not going to be in a tag. He's been claimed in four out of his last five. I saw. So <laughs> I'm actually going to go back to the same bar. This is exciting. <laughs> Yeah, geez, I guess I get to eat at my own house again. Well, listen, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Nevels uh, from the Daily Racing Forum is with us. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we come back. We're going to go a mile and the 16th on the turf and then a mile and an eighth on the main track at Gulfstream Park. Remember, the claiming crown, it all happens on Saturday, and where you get your best bets, your best tips, and your best way to go for betting is on winning ponies. Oh. Now I ain't saying she a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke niggas. 
Now I ain't saying she a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke niggas. Get down, girl, go ahead, get down. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Football and so much more is the focus of Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson. Join the former Arizona Cardinals running back for a show that mixes, well, a little bit of everything. Damian brings to the program life experiences playing football and will talk about his variety of successes both on and off the field. The goal is to provide you with a fun perspective on life, family, success, and of course, football. Tune in to Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson, Fridays at noon Pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america sports channel your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you're tuned in to winning ponies with your host john Engelhart. got a tip for us need a tip from us if you want to talk with john or his guests the phone lines are now open toll free at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com now back to winning ponies with john Engelhart. all right and with me is joe nevels now from the daily racing form and we are handicapping the claiming crown that this year will take place at Gulfstream Park on their opening day on Saturday. We're going to move forward now to the ninth race. It's called the Emerald, and it's going to be run on the green. And, Joe, I have a note after handicapping uh, this full field uh, at the top of my uh, daily racing form that says, Two Kings and a Castle. You know, that's what I got, too. You know, it's... It's really pretty wild here that, you know, King David and King Carissa are the top two finishers in the Jamaica Handicap this year, a grade one race, and they're both running in the claiming crown. I saw that, and it just floored me. I love and it. I, I love it. That's, and, you know, the absolute dream of the claiming game is a horse like King David, a horse that you pick up for $35,000, turn him around, want a grade one with him. You know, that's, that's the dream right there. And he's my pick to win here. Um, you know, he comes to Gulfstream Park for the first time, but he has wins in New York, Illinois, so you know he can ship. That's not going to be a problem. Um, he finished second in his comeback race after the Jamaica, the uh, Commonwealth Turf Stakes, and he missed by under a length, so he's definitely no fluke. He had a lot of trouble on that trip. So, I was there that know. day. Yeah, he had a lot of trouble. He was blocked, uh, and I was going to get a nice price, too, at 5-1 at to one that day. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, he, you know, he got beat by Lee, who looks like the, a real up-and-comer uh, mm-hmm. horse. And, uh, you know, no disgrace coming into the claiming crown off uh, two consecutive graded races. Yep. And uh, behind King David, I put Nikki Sandcastle and uh, King Crisa. So, the kings in the castle. <laughs> there you go, man. Well, that's great. Let's, let's hope that this is a case of great minds of thinking alike. And, 
You know, uh, again, uh, I think the tepid favorite is down on the rail, uh, Nicky Sandcastle, who uh, himself is coming out of a graded stakes race uh, at, uh, at at Keeneland off the poly track, uh, but uh, doesn't uh, have a problem with the turf. Five of his six career victories have come on the turf, and 170000 of his $270,000 career have come over the weeds. Uh, in this case, these horses have run for... 25,000 or less since January 1st of 2001. So obviously Dave Casson doing a good job reaching down and, and grabbing this one. So uh, Nikki Sandcastle, the slightest of favorites, but three to one, that means the favorite could pay $8. King David uh, is, is four to one. Again, these are, you know, morning line odds and um, trying to find uh, King Chris, a six to one. So, uh, you know, could end up with a pretty solid exacto trifecta with this field in in the Emerald again. Be going on the turf. I'm guessing the weather's probably going to be pretty good down there. So, I see the race going, and we'll find out just how formful it'll be. But you know, anytime you bring horses in from all parts of the country, there could always be in the flying the ointment that you don't know about, or one of the horses from the hometown crowd that could be very very dangerous. Coming up on the tenth race, it is the Jewel. I guess it's the jewel of the afternoon because it offers $200,000, and it'll be going a mile and an eighth. And uh, I seem to be missing my last page. I hope I can find it because, as I recall, only the bottom horse um, has ever won at the distance. Yeah, there is no experience. Yeah, number 12, Tuvius Force. Uh, there is nobody with experience in this race for a mile and an eighth, and that makes it really tough. Um, I don't know if I'm going to put him on top, but I have my eye very much on number 11 trade here. He's just pure speed coming in from Mountaineer. If nobody comes with him, with nobody else really with experience, I think his morning line is something like 10 or 12 to 1. You know, he can make you some money. Um, on top, though, I put his liberty, assuming he's going in this race and not the race earlier where he's dual entered. Um, it's the, he's coming in from California where... You know, he was, you know, self-so on the poly track, cushion track, Del Mar, Hollywood type races. But when he got to Santa Anita's, when he got to Santa Anita's dirt, he was a monster. Won all the time on the dirt. Uh, nobody in this field has much experience in nine panels, but since Liberty comes in two starts ago, he had a win at a mile and 16th. So, you know, that's good enough for me. He's another one that's gotten a lot of action too at the claim box. He's been claimed in five of his last nine starts, including his most recent. Uh, yeah, I do. Again, I'm just pulling down. I think the dog ate my homework. I didn't get the the outside horse, but yeah, <laughs> trade uh, d- does look uh, interesting. He's one of those Joe uh, Joe Woodard claim claimers that mm-hmm. we're very familiar with in the in the Midwest. Oh, yeah. But uh, you know, he got this off the of Phipps stable, so you know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but again, I think the big question mark here, Joe, is going to be you know who who can get the route of ground since uh, you know only. Uh, Tuvia's force is the one that's done it. Yeah, there's so many sprinters in this field. I don't really, I mean, a lot of these horses don't really seem like they belong here. One one neat thing I did notice, though, and I wanted to ask you this because I'm not quite sure, is Homeboy Chris the first Kentucky Derby running horse to run in a claiming crown race? I am going to have to say yes. It's funny you brought that up. Homeboy Chris, who's number three, Ran in, in the Kentucky Derby. He's five now, so obviously it was two years ago. Marty McGee, I was reading his tweets on the Racing Forum site, and he goes, hey, 
there's a derby horse in today's first race. And turns out the horse ends up, jumps up and wins it. Uh, homeboy Chris, I am going to have to say yes, and I'll take that bet if anybody wants to challenge me. I, I find it very hard to believe that there would be a derby horse who has competed in this series. But uh, he's still hanging around, and uh, John Velasquez, you've heard of him, he's <laughs> scheduled to ride the horse, so, you know, who knows? Ron Moquette might uh, have this horse back to the, the form. He, he just claimed him uh, back in October 12 for $30,000. Uh, it would be very interesting. But I do not know for sure, but I'd be willing to take that bet. Yeah, me too. And for the record, I don't think Homeboy Chris can get the distance here. That's I see an awful lot of seven, six, five for a long race. There's not a whole lot of two turns there. Well, I just really think that that's going to that's gonna be the, the challenge. Uh, in, in this final race is, you know, who's going to get the distance. So there, there could be a price out there. These horses are pretty much coming in from all over the place. And it's pretty much going to be like that all day. I mean, we can only take four of the races, but I think it's going to make for a very, very interesting card. Well, I got a couple minutes left here, Joe. Why don't you share with me what's what's coming up in your life? What's coming up with the form? What do we need to be looking for? Uh, right now, we're just getting ready to... Uh... You know, just working on stories. I have a story on uh, stud fees, how they've fluctuated, and how farms set them uh, coming in a Sunday edition of daily racing form. Um, we're getting ready for our launch, which I believe is going to be in mid-December, and then uh, rolling on into the January sale, where you'll see quite a bit of quality coverage from myself, Nicole Russo, and uh, Glenny Kane Oakford, live on the scene. Or actually, nope, Glenny and Patrick Reed. Can't forget Patrick. All right. Well, Joe Nevels from the Daily Racing Forum, thanks so much for being on with us at Winning Ponies. Hey, my pleasure. Glad to be here anytime. All right. Milton Toby and Joe Nevels, a great daily double. Remember, we're going to be here every Thursday, and if you can't catch the show, you can catch it on podcast. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.